Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 12. I want to speak to you on a subject uh, that we'll entitle, How Your Faith Can Grow. Now, in that, I want to discuss some things that, um, uh, well, just I, I, my, my intent, uh, assuming that I've got the direction of the Holy Ghost on this, is to talk about some things in a real practical manner. Because, you know, if you ask a group of believers, if you've got a group of, um, you know, any number of people, 100 people together, and uh, from different backgrounds and different churches and things like that, and ask them what faith is, you're going to come up with probably about 75 or 85 different answers. And as such, the subject of faith is very much misunderstood among a great portion of the body of Christ. The very people that are supposed to know about it, by and large, don't seem to. So we want to start here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Paul is speaking, and uh, we're going to take some things out of context, uh, but I'll tell you what the context is. Verse 1, he says, present your body a living sacrifice. Verse 2, he tells you to do something about your thinking. Verse 1, he tells you to do something with your body. Verse 2, he tells the Christian to do something about his thinking. Those are the great, two greatest needs in the body of Christ, folks, for the church to do something about their body, present their body a living sacrifice, and secondly, to do something about their thinking. Now, notice that, God, that Paul did not say that God will do either one of those things for you. Some people have the idea that when they're submitted to God, we've just submitted ourselves to God, that, that everything is up to him. Everything is his responsibility. So many times people have the idea that, uh, that God allows things, God causes things, different things take place. And I was having a conversation the other day with somebody uh, online about uh, suffering. Well, God allows suffering. And, and people that, that usually talk about that, God allowing suffering, they really don't mean God allows suffering. What they're trying to say is God's behind it in some way or another. It's kind of a backhanded slap. And, and I, I really felt like the Lord impressed upon me to say, yeah, you're right. The Lord does allow suffering, but he allows ignorance too. Now, we don't blame God for ignorance. Nobody says, yeah, I'm ignorant by the will of God. But the Bible says God allows ignorance. Proverbs says, let the ignorance be ignorant still. In other words, people that commit themselves to ignorance, commit themselves to rejecting the truth of the word of God, let them be ignorant. That's the end result. Well, nobody blames God for that. But he allows ignorance just as much as he allows suffering. Because he'll allow what you'll allow. He'll allow suffering just like you'll allow suffering. Well, a lot of times people have this idea that God's just behind everything. God's the one that's going to make it work. If, God, if my body's going to be submitted to the Lord, then it's, it's a work that God's going to have to do. Yet the Bible says that's work for you to do. God can't do that for you. And some people have the idea that in order for me to have a renewed mind, they think, by and large, it seems to me, I may be wrong on this, but it seems to me through people's conversation, that they're thinking that just means if God wants me to know something, then he'll make me know it. Well, folks, that's not true. Renewing your mind is your responsibility. Paul says in that context in verse 3, talking about the responsibility of the individual, the responsibility of the believer, Christians saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. He's writing to born-again, spirit-filled Christians. He says, you do something with your body and you do something about your thinking. Then he says in verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you. In other words, he's saying, now here's the reason why I'm telling you to do something with your body and do something with your thoughts. Here's the reason why I'm telling you, you have responsibility. For I say to everyone, through the grace that is given unto me, to everyone that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now notice that of himself is in italics. Certainly, high thinking would include thinking of yourself too highly. But that's not the only thing he's talking about. He's talking about not to think more highly than you ought to think in any area. So he says, 
I say to everyone that is among you not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. The word sober, if you go back to the original meaning, it, it literally means not moved by emotion. Think not moved by emotion. Don't let your emotions determine your thoughts. To think, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Why? According as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, please notice that phrase, the measure of faith. What is Paul telling us by the Holy Ghost? He's saying that every believer starts off with the same measure of faith. It's not saying, he didn't say a measure of faith. If he said a measure of faith, and we said, well, your measure may be more than mine. Or mine may be more than yours. And, and, and if, if that were the case, then people would be right in their accusation. Well, yeah, you see those guys in the Bible, but they had, they had more faith than we have. Well, they didn't start off with more faith than you have. God gives to each one of us the measure of faith. Notice it says God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. There are three different terms that are used concerning faith. One, it says in Romans ten seventeen, so then faith cometh by hearing. So faith comes. Romans 12, 3 says faith is dealt to every man in a specific measure. So faith is dealt. And then Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we see faith is a gift, faith comes, and faith is dealt. Same faith. He's talking about exactly the same thing. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. Faith is dealt, faith comes, and faith is a gift all in the same manner or through the same means, and that is by hearing the Word of God. The measure of faith he's talking about is that measure of faith that was deposited in your heart when you heard that Jesus died for your sins. Everybody starts off on the same level, exactly the same level. What you do with it from the point that it is given, from the point that it comes, and from the point that it is dealt to you, pick the words you want. They all mean the same thing. From the point that it comes to you, from the point that God gives it to you, what you do with it is up to you, and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you have a responsibility to present your body living sacrifice. You have a responsibility to do something about your thinking, renew your mind to the Word. You have a responsibility to do something with the measure of faith that God gives you. Now, folks, if that measure of faith, and it is, since that measure of faith is that which we receive by hearing that Jesus died for our sins, that faith is enough for us to take a step of action to confess Jesus as our Lord and come into the family of God. That is the very reason that so many people that are genuinely saved never grow in faith and to the degree that they have even forgotten. Years later, they have even forgotten their action, their choice, their will in getting saved. They think faith is just this some nebulous thing that God has uh, apportioned to certain ones and, and, and there's a gift of faith and some people have that gift of faith and other people don't and so forth. They think it's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost and it's not. It's the responsibility of the individual to develop. Let me tell you some stories. I think the best way to illustrate this is just by using scriptural examples. Any of you ever heard of uh, uh, Charles Muller? In case you haven't, Charles Muller in the 1900s, or I'm sorry, in the 19th century, which would be the 1800s, had an idea to start a children's home. Now, Dr. Muller um, really didn't know too much about the things of God. He, he, the, the, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God that was available to him was much, much, much less than, than what you would accept even in a denominational or nominal church uh, nowadays. 
And, uh, and so he said, you know, it just seemed to me, I just kept having this idea that God wanted me to start a children's home. He said, well, I didn't know what to do with it. He said, so I decided what I was going to do is every morning I was going to get up early in the morning. And he said, I just walked the neighborhoods where he lived. He lived outside of London somewhere. He said, I decided I was going to walk the neighborhoods and I was just going to pray. And he said, I kept decided I was going to keep a journal. That every morning after my walk, after my time of prayer, I was going to come back and write down my thoughts or my feelings or my impressions that I felt like God might, if, if anything, that God might be saying to me. Now, folks, here's something. This is amazing how God led him to do this. Because so many people don't have, don't have the understanding, even with teaching today, with the greater knowledge we have of the word today, so many people don't understand when it comes to praying the will of God for your life, that's not one quick prayer you can pray. That's something you need to pray out. That's something you need to pray about over and over and over again. Well, he said at the end of 30 days, he said uh, with the things that he had written down and the impressions that he had at, at, the, uh, at the end of his prayer time, he said he knew without a shadow of a doubt that God wanted him to start a children's home. But then what do you do? He didn't know. But he said during the time that he would walk, during that 30 days where he'd walk early in the morning, he said as the sun would rise, he said I almost always took the same route. And he said uh, almost every, every day, he said just as the sun would come up, he said I would see this old abandoned home. He said whoever had, uh, had owned it, whoever had uh, resided there, it was broken down, it was in terrible shape. It was, you know, just something nobody seemed to want. And he said, so I thought, well, okay, I, I wouldn't know how you go about this, so I'll just see if I can inquire of the owner, what would something like this go for? He said it was in terrible condition and, and nobody else would want it, so that'd be a good place to start with information. So he talked to the owner, told the owner what he had in mind and what he was thinking about doing, so the guy gave it to him for just a ridiculous price. Now, over a process of time, he developed a reputation for having a children's home. He started taking in some of the orphans of the city and, and that type of thing. 50 years later, fast forward 50 years later, he's got a home with 2,000 orphans that he's responsible for the total and complete care of. There's no government handouts. There's no social programs. There's nothing. He's responsible for feeding, clothing, caring, housing, everything. Whatever utilities they had, you know, back then, firewood, if nothing else, and, and things like that. He's responsible for all of the care of those 2,000 people. Now, he said this. He was about 91 years old when he said this. He was about 40 when he started. He said, over, by feeding my faith over 50 years, he said, I can now, at age 91, he said, I can now believe God for a half a million pounds, English pounds, more easily than I could believe for a few shillings 50 years earlier. What is he telling us? He's telling us that faith grows. Now that confirms what the Bible said. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, I think it is. He said uh, he commends them because their faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of them abounds toward the other. So he says that both faith and love can grow. Well, if faith and love can grow, then why do so many people think that faith is outside of their responsibility and it's all up to God? God doesn't grow anything in you. You grow something in you. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The fruit grows on the branches. It doesn't grow in the vine. It grows on the branches. You're the one that's responsible for developing fruit. You go to Galatians chapter 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. You're responsible for developing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. God's not going to do it for you. And if you don't develop it, it won't grow. The Bible says just like we are dealt the measure of faith. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in each and every one of our hearts. In Romans chapter 5, 5, when we're born again, 
The presence of the Holy Ghost that regenerates our spirit causes a deposit of God's love to be there. But you have to grow it. That's why you find some Christians that walk in love to a greater degree than other Christians. It's God's will for all of us to walk in perfect love. Well, why don't we do it? Because we don't grow it. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. So Dr. Muller said that he found overfeeding his faith for 50 years, it was easier for him to, to believe for a half a million pounds. Now, in those days, a half a million pounds might have been the, or a pound would, might, uh, might have been the equivalent of five or six or maybe even ten American dollars. So you can see he's talking about a lot of money. But he said in the beginning he couldn't believe for just a couple of shillings. Now, here's something that I see that people make a mistake. They'll hear a story like that, and they want to start on the 500,000 pounds part. Oh, yeah, I want to do that too. Well, it took him 50 years to get there. That won't have to take you 50 years. You've got a greater base of knowledge to work from than he did, and you can get there a lot quicker, but you're not going to get there overnight. It's kind of like working out. I'm, uh, it's, first of the year is always a real interesting time in the gym. You see all these guys in there, they come in, you know, brand new workout outfits, brand new shoes, brand new everything. I mean, this stuff has just, just seen the, the, the package open that morning, you know. And they come in the gym and then they go to these trainers and these trainers try to put them through the paces. Now, the trainer has kind of a mixed incentive here because the trainer wants them to keep coming back because the more they come back, the more they, the more they earn. But if you don't show them that they're doing something worthwhile, then you get discouraged and people leave. So generally what happens, it's always fun to go in right after the first of the year. Everybody's got their New Year's resolutions going. These guys get in there and they, they'll start off with this stuff and almost invariably they'll hurt themselves because they'll try to do too much. I see people injure themselves spiritually in the same way. They'll try to start off with too much. They'll try to start off based on a story that they heard from somebody else and their faith is not developed there. And so what they do is they have a faith failure. And they say, well, I guess that stuff doesn't work after all. Well, yeah, it does work, but you have to start where you are. Let me tell you what I mean. Brother Hagen uh, 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 was having a meeting in a small town in Texas, small church, small town. And there was this lady that was, uh, that was in this church. And uh, from the time that she was six weeks old, they had put glasses on her. Her eyes were so difficult or so, so in such bad shape. Her eyes wouldn't focus. One eye... They, they, Brother Hagen explained that they'd just kind of wander around in her head. You know, she, she could focus one eye, but the other eye would drift, and it was just a, I don't know if it was a nerve issue, a muscle issue, whatever it was, but these glasses seemed to help it. And boy, he said these were Coke bottle thick kind of glasses. And, and they would kind of, you know, train the muscles or whatever they were supposed to do and kind of produce a little bit of help. But even as a six-week-old baby, they would tie these glasses on this baby's head. This was many years ago. I'm sure they'd handle things differently nowadays. But anyway, he said he gets to, uh, to this church, and, and uh, this lady is in her 30s. And she's been wearing these glasses all of her life. She's got kids. She's got three or four kids. And, um, uh, and she heard the, the message of faith. She heard that Jesus heals. And so she just, during the middle of the meeting, she just took those glasses off and threw them down. She said, that's it. I'm healed in the, by the stripes of Jesus, and I'm never going to wear those glasses again. Well, immediately after the service was over, she went out to get in her car to drive home and hit every, almost every car in the parking lot. And so it causes everybody, I mean, it was a big stir. I mean, it didn't do a lot of damage. You know, cars were tanks back then anyway. But, but I mean, she's just bumped everything. She's playing bumper cars out in the parking lot. And so the, the, some of the staff goes out there to try to see what's going on and says, you know, sister, what is, what is going on? She said, I'm sorry, I just can't see. And they said, well, where are your glasses? She said, I'm, I took them off. I'm healed. 
Well, folks, taking off your glasses doesn't heal you. If taking off your glasses healed you, then everybody would get healed every night when they took off their glasses to go to bed. Taking off your, the action of taking off your glasses does nothing for you. So they told Brother Hagin about it. The service was just over, and they told Brother Hagin about it. And he got to laughing over it, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. It was a very serious thing. If she'd made it out of the parking lot, there's no telling. If she'd killed her own kids or somebody else's too, you know. So anyway, he brought her and sat her down, and he said, Sister, listen. He said, let's start off where you are. He said, I, if, if, you know, if you had the faith for that, if your faith had been developed to that point, then, yeah, you could take your glasses off and receive your healing instantly. He said, but... He said, don't let that discourage you just because you're not there yet. Nobody starts off there. He said, do this. He said, start saying. He took her over to Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. He said, well, sister, you desire for your eyes to be healed, right? She said, yeah, that's right. He said, well, then you start saying, just as the Bible says, whosoever, what things soever you desire, when you pray, we're going to pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He said, I want you to start thanking God. We'll pray, we'll agree that by, according, to the, uh, according to the Bible, according to the word of God, by the stripes of Jesus, your eyes are healed. He said, then I want you to start thanking God that your eyes are healed. He said, but put your glasses back on. He said, let your faith develop. So she said, well, that's all there is to it? He said, yes, ma'am, that's all there is to it. She said, but I don't have it yet. He said, yeah, I know it. So many people are trying to start having it before they believe it. But our job, according to Mark eleven twenty four, 24, the work of faith is to believe that you receive it before you have it. And folks, that's how you got saved. You simply acted on the word, believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessed that Jesus was your Lord. And at the moment you confessed that he was your Lord, he wasn't yet your savior. But the action of believing in the heart and saying with the mouth brought him into reality as your Lord and Savior. In other words, you had to believe it and say it before you had it. Now, what happens with a situation like this, and this woman testified many months later that this was what happened with her, is that every time she'd make her confession of faith, I believe I received my healing in Jesus' name. I believe my eyes are healed. I, believe, I think specifically he said, I believe he instructed her to tell her, he instructed her to say, I believe I received healing from my eyes in the name of Jesus. He said, she said every time that she began to say that, every morning she'd get up, put on her glasses, and say it. Every time she took her glasses off, she'd say it. He instructed her to remind yourself to say it three or four times during the day. Every time you think of it, say, I believe I receive healing from my eyes in Jesus' name. She testified sometime later that every time she said that, the devil spoke to her mind. It took her a while to figure out it was him. But the thought came to her mind, well, you don't have it yet. Why are you saying it's yours when, you're not, when you don't have it yet? Well, folks, that's exactly why you need to say it. Because you don't yet have it. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, you will have it. But so many times people are waiting to have it first. And then they'll start believing it. So, the testimony she gave many months later was that she did this for about six months. Every morning, every night, every day, several times during the day, she'd say, I believe I receive healing from my eyes. In Jesus' name, puts on those big old thick glasses. She said, after about six months, she said, I put on my glasses and they didn't seem to help much. She said, so I took off my glasses. She said, it seemed that I could see a little bit better without my glasses than I could see with them. So I just left them off that day. Same thing. I believe I receive healing from my eyes. In Jesus' name. Well, over a period of another month or so, 
her eyesight began to get better and better and better. About uh, two months after that, now it's been uh, nine months total, she moves from where she was to another state. Well, as she moved to another state, she had to get a new driver's license. Now, the rules or the laws in that state were that she didn't have to, since she already had an existing and a current driver's license, she didn't have to take another driving test. But she did have to take the written test. So she took the written test without any problem. But now she's got this restriction on her old driver's license where she's restricted to wearing glasses and that kind of thing. Well, she comes in there and she doesn't have her glasses on. So the, the, the guys behind the counter say, well, we're going to have to give you another eye test to see if you need the same restrictions that they used to. You know, sometimes things change. Sometimes things get worse, whatever. So they gave her the eye test and her eyes tested out 2020. And uh, tw- she tested out 2020 vision in both eyes. Now, she started off trying to take off her glasses. And she was way beyond her measure of faith. Her faith hadn't grown to that point. But over nine months, well, really about seven months when it started really improving, but nine months total until she got the test results that she had 20-20 vision in both eyes, over a nine-month period, her faith grew by feeding on the Word of God and exercising it. There are two elements to growing and developing your faith. Number one, so then faith comes by hearing. So you feed your faith on the word of God. Jesus said in, uh, when he was being tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4. He said man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What does that mean? That means the word of God is the same, produces the same results for your spirit. That natural food produces for your body. What does natural food do for your body? It strengthens you. It strengthens you. The second element is that you have to be a doer of the word. You have to exercise your faith. James 1.22 says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. So those two elements are necessary. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In other words, if you just hear, if you just speak the word, but you don't act on the word, then you're going to be deceived, meaning it's not going to produce results. So the two elements of growing and developing your faith, therefore, are to feed on the word of God and to exercise it. What is she doing for those nine months? She's feeding on the word of God by believing or confessing, I believe I receive my healing in Jesus' name. That's what Mark eleven twenty four says to do. So when she speaks the word of God, she's hearing herself say, and that's feeding her spirit. The action she takes is that she speaks it or says it, takes action on it based on her confession. The two legs of faith are to believe in your heart and say with your mouth. So she fed her faith. She exercised her faith for nine months. And it brought her out of a condition that the doctors had given up on. Nothing, absolutely nothing they could do for her. Yet over that nine-month period of time, her faith developed to where she received her healing. Just like she tried to the first night nine months before when she threw her glasses down. Folks, developing in faith doesn't take a long time. But it does take some effort. And so many times people want to jump to the head of the class. They want to jump to the end of faith. And it's real easy. Folks, it's real easy to teach faith from a standpoint of where the the teacher has developed themselves. But everybody starts off with the same measure. We need to remember that there are those among us that are at a smaller level or a smaller measure of faith than us. And we need to start using examples and stories where somebody can start, not where somebody's already grown and developed to. I don't get too much out of people that talk about airplane faith. That doesn't matter to me. I don't want an airplane couldn't care less that they've developed airplane faith what about the guy that's trying to believe for sock money what about the guy that's trying to pay his rent that's what i'm talking about now let me tell you another story here's a a minister in in, uh, texas by the name of braun brother braun 
was a, an, an outstanding minister. I mean, he was just a, he's developed a lot of people in the things of God and a lot of ministers that, uh, a lot of people out of his church that went into the ministry. Brother Hagin said he preached probably more for Brother Braun over a seven-year period than any other person. And during that seven-year period, Brother Hagin preached five different sessions, five different meetings there. Every time he taught on the subject of faith, and those meetings would go anywhere from three weeks to six weeks, depending on, you know, what time he was there. So you add up all that time over a seven-year period, he's taught some 30, maybe 35 weeks of healing in this man's church. Well, Brother Braun uh, retired from ministry or retired from pastoring, not retired from ministry, at about 71, 72 years of age, something like that. He had been diagnosed with sugar diabetes when he was 40 years old. His pancreas stopped producing insulin when he was 40 years old. 70, at age 72, 32 years later, his pancreas started producing insulin again. Now, folks, every, every medical doctor, every medical expert will tell you that's impossible. Your pancreas doesn't start up again, especially after having been dead for that long. Brother Hagen heard about it because uh, Brother Braun put out a, a, a message, a, kind of a, a press release, that even though he was retiring from pastoring, he was still available to take meetings and, and uh, to preach and, and fill in for pastors and doing things like that. So Brother Hagen heard the testimony about him being healed, and so he, he contacted him. He said, Brother Braun, he said, I'm thrilled to hear that your, your pancreas is, is uh, producing insulin again, that you don't have to take those insulin shots that you took every day for 30 years. He said, tell me what happened. He said, well, I finally got what you were saying. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, every time you were here, you preached the same thing. He said, I got to thinking you didn't know anything else. He said, I'd hear you preaching on faith. I'd hear you preaching on believing with your heart and saying with your mouth and things like that. He said, but for many of those years when you were with us, I was waiting to see it before I believed it. He said, and then I remember one of the last times that you were there, you told your testimony about how when you were on the sick bed, how that you would pray and say, thank you, Father, I'm healed, and then check your body to see if it was real. You were trying, you said that you were trying to see it before you believed it and how you had to make that adjustment. He said, that finally started sinking in on me. Not while you were there in the meetings, but, but sometime afterwards. He said, that finally started sinking in on me. He said, so every day, he said, I started getting up. He said, I'd go take my insulin shot. He said, I began to say, I believe I receive healing from sugar diabetes in the name of Jesus. He said, that went on for one month. That went on for two months. That went on for three months. That went on for a year. It went on for, uh, for 18 months. He said about this, the, uh, the 20th month of every day, and he said, and the devil was right there saying, why do you keep saying that? You know you don't have it. And he said, that's right, Mr. Devil, I don't have it. My job is to believe I receive it. He said about the 20th month, he said, I took the insulin and had a reaction. So I backed off. He said, I'd had those before. He said, you know, it'd been a long time, but he said, I'd had those before, and, and they, they were real uncomfortable. He said, but I, it was a mild one, and so I just backed off, and I just didn't take any more insulin for the day. It didn't affect me in any way. He said, the next morning, I got up, and I said, thank you, Father. I believe I receive healing from sugar diabetes in the name of Jesus. And he said, there was a voice on the inside of me that said, why don't you leave off your insulin today? Now, folks, he's been developing his faith for 20 months. Let me interrupt the story here to tell you something else. There was a Rhema graduate that was going out into the jungles of, of somewhere. I think it was in uh, the Philippines. He was going out into the jungles of the Philippines, and he had sugar diabetes, and he was just determined that he was going to bless God. He was going to show the power of God in action. So he start, went out to the mission field, left his insulin at home, and died. 
People hear stories like that and they say, well, see, that faith stuff doesn't work. Well, as Brother Hagin used to say, no, it won't work for idiots. The guys that went with him asked him about it because they knew that he took insulin every day. And they asked him when they got on the mission field, they got, start, got away from civilization. They said, what about your insulin? Aren't you going to take your insulin? He said, no, I'm going to believe God or die. Well, guess which one he got? See, folks, leaving off your insulin doesn't heal you. Now, one of the reasons that I'm telling these stories is because we've got medical doctors in the church. And I'll teach certain things about healing. I'll teach certain things about believing it's yours. And, and invariably, I'll have the doctors that will come up and say, now, wait a minute, Pastor Mike. What do you do if somebody's taking heart medication? What do you do if somebody's taking medication to lower their cholesterol? What do you tell them? And so I want to make it as clear as I can. There is no conflict between faith and medical science. None whatsoever. The doctors are doing everything they can to help somebody. And anytime anybody's ever come to me and say, Pastor Mike, what do you think? Do you think I should quit my medicine? I'll always say absolutely not. Because if there's a question in their mind, that's not God telling them to do it. That's generally them trying to take off too big a bite. They're trying to believe for something that they haven't developed their faith in. So anytime anybody asks me the question, I'll say absolutely take the medicine. Just mix faith with it. You know, you can mix faith with medicine and get supernatural results from it. Because medicine will have a certain amount of effect on your body, a natural effect on your body, because that's what the medicine is designed to do. But you mix faith with it, and you'll get supernatural results. Well, how do you do that, Pastor Mike? Very simple. You just say, I mix faith with this medicine in the name of Jesus, and I expect it to bring about supernatural results. Why? Because you get what you say. You get what you say. So you'll have some people that will jump way out there and try to go to extremes. Well, this Raymond graduate went out on the mission field and, and died because he wouldn't take his insulin. Boy, it created quite a stir for his family. Hardship for his family. They created quite a stir, tried to sue Raymond and all this kind of stuff. People tr- blame the, the preachers, blame Brother Hagin's preaching over some of this stuff. Well, Brother Hagin can't help what somebody does, how somebody runs off and, and doesn't listen, doesn't pay attention to what's being said. It's not my fault if somebody refuses to develop their faith and jumps out beyond themselves. Doesn't change the truth of the word. But that's why from time to time we want to talk about it on a real practical, just nuts and bolts level, just like this. Well, back to Brother Braun. Remember him? So for 20 months he's been developing his faith, saying exactly what Mark eleven twenty four says to do. I believe I receive healing for sugar diabetes in the name of Jesus. I believe I receive healing. Folks, those words are very, very important. I believe I receive healing. For whatever the condition is in the name of Jesus, I believe I receive healing. You're not saying you have it. You try to get in an argument with the devil about whether or not you have it, and he'll clean your clock. Because the Bible makes a distinction between believing you receive and having. Now, I know there's a point in faith where you say, it's mine, I have it now. I get that. But that is really, in a technical sense, believing you receive, not really having. Having is when it shows up in your body. Your job in faith is to believe that you receive it. So for 20 months, he's been saying, I believe I receive healing for sugar diabetes in the name of Jesus. I believe I receive healing for sugar diabetes in the name of Jesus. Well, he had that reaction, and the next morning, the, little, the voice on the inside, he knew it was the Holy Ghost, voice said, leave off your medicine today. Leave off your insulin. He didn't say never take it again. He said, leave it off today. Now, why did he say that? He never did take it again, but why did the Holy Ghost say leave it off today? Because God knows the importance of developing your faith step by step by step. If, it, if the Lord had said to him, don't ever take your insulin ever again, 
then that would have given the devil opportunity to bring fear against him. Oh, no, what if, what if things haven't really changed? But the Holy Spirit just said something very simple. Just leave it off for today. Well, he did. Left it off for that day. Next morning, got up. I believe I received healing, fully intending to take his insulin. I believe I received healing for sugar diabetes in the name of Jesus. Same thing. The Lord said, you can leave it off today, too, if you'd like. God gave him a choice. Didn't command him. Gave him a choice. So he didn't take it that day. And after about the third or fourth day, the Lord said, you don't ever have to take it again if you like. You're free from it. Well, what happened? He developed his faith over a 20-month period, and then he had it. How did he develop his faith? By believing in his heart and saying with his mouth, by feeding his faith and by exercising it. Now, how did he exercise it? Did he exercise it by throwing his insulin away? No, that doesn't help anything. That just creates a hardship. Did this woman that we were talking about in the the beginning exercise her faith by throwing away her glasses? No, that almost got her in big trouble. She exercised her faith by feeding it on the word and by making her confession. That's how you develop faith, folks. You develop faith by feeding it on the word and confessing or acting on the word. Sometimes confessing, especially with an internal illness, action, a confession is the only action that you can take. Now turn with me. Let me show you one other thing, one other element about this. And I want you to turn to two openings of Scripture. Turn to uh, John chapter 20 and um, Romans chapter 4. Remember Jesus said when he was talking about the subject of faith in Mark eleven twenty three. He said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. A lot of times people get hung up on the doubting in your heart stuff. And the reason they get hung up is because the devil tells them they're doubting. They're doing everything they can to believe God, and the devil comes right on the heels of that and say, You know you don't really believe that. And many times people buy into it. They'll say, well, yeah, I really don't believe that. I know I'm supposed to, but I'm, I'm just not there. I just really don't believe that. But please notice that the condition is, and shall not doubt in his heart. It doesn't say one word about doubting in your head. There's a huge difference between doubting in your head, in your mind, and doubting in your heart. Let me show you what that difference is. John chapter 20, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he's already appeared to his other disciples. But Thomas wasn't with them. Verse 24, John chapter 20, verse 24, Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples said, therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, faith is always shown by your words. But he said unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So what's his believing based on? What he can see and feel. His believing is based on the physical. Can you see that? That's where Brother Hagin was for many months when he was on the sick bed. He was paralyzed waiting to see his body change so then, then he would believe it. Verse 26, and after eight days again his disciples were within and Thomas was with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, first thing, right off the bat, not, hey, guys, what you been doing? First thing, right to Thomas, he said, Thomas, reach hither your finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. 
I want you to notice what believing according to what you can see is called by Jesus. It's called faithless. In other words, that's not real faith. If you're believing based on what you can see, that's not Bible faith. What does Jesus say? Or Thomas, uh, first of all, answers. Thomas answered verse 28 and said, my Lord and my God. Why? Why is he recognizing that Jesus is risen? Because he can see him. He refused to believe in verse 25. Now he sees his five physical senses tell him it's true. So he says, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Jesus answers him and says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. Please notice that there was no blessing attached to Thomas's result. He didn't say, Thomas, you're lucky to see me and now you're blessed. He didn't say that. He said, you simply believe because you saw. The blessing comes by believing when you can't see. Can you see it? Jesus said the blessing comes by not seeing and still believing. So what does Jesus consider real faith? He considers real faith as that which is based on no physical evidence. Now let's go back to where we started. Three words that the Bible says about faith. It says that it comes, it says that it's dealt, and it says that it's a gift. How does it come? How is it dealt? And how does it become a gift? It comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So if real faith, Bible faith, the God kind of faith that produces supernatural results is the blessing comes because you don't see but still believe, what then does, is the basis for your belief? The word of God that you hear. There's too many in the body of Christ that don't accept that to be true, folks. And that's why they never develop in faith. That's why they think this faith healing and, and faith for prosperity and faith for, for other blessings and stuff like that, that, that'll never work because they've never taken time to feed on the Word of God and develop their faith. They've even forgotten how they've got saved. You'll have a lot of those folks who'll turn around and say, oh, it was all the work of God. Well, it wasn't. It was the work of God that sent Jesus. But it was your decision to accept Jesus that brought you into the family of God. And that's the only thing that distinguishes between somebody that is in the family of God and somebody that's not in the family of God. The same Jesus was sent to both people. The only thing that makes a difference is that somebody chooses to accept it. Where somebody else might reject. Same opportunity is there. Same word might be preached. The difference is being accepted. And when you accept it, faith is deposited in your heart. When you reject it, even though it's true, it won't produce anything. Well, what's the contrast to that? What's the contrast? This is called doubting in your heart right here. This is Tom, or, yeah, Thomas speaking according to what he sees and feels. That's doubting in your heart. When the devil tells you you don't believe what you're saying, that has no bearing on anything. You're speaking what God's word says. That's the action of faith. Turn to Romans chapter 4 and I'll show you the, the opposite of that. Here's the, the example of faith that we're given to follow. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 17, talking about God. 
God said to Abraham, even as it's written in the Old Testament, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. The Greek literally says like unto him. In other words, it's saying Abraham was like God in this respect. Whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. What it's literally saying in verse 17 is, here's how Abraham was like God. He called things that he couldn't see as if they were real. Things that be not, meaning things that were not materially true. Things that were not materially evident. But he called things that he couldn't see as though they were already accomplished. How did God do that? God said that he was the father of many nations before he ever had a child. How did Abraham do that? He called himself Abraham, which means father of nations. Why did he do that? Because God changed his name. He could have said, oh, that's just a joke God's playing on me. I'm not Abraham. I'm just Abram. But he didn't. He took what God said about him and said it of himself. In that respect, he was like unto God. He called things that be not as though they were. Verse 18, who, again speaking of Abraham, against hope, believed in hope. That's a real poor translation. It just simply means this. It's a poor way of saying it. It's not a poor translation. It's just a little blind to us the way we read it. It just simply means he didn't have any physical evidence to hope in. He looked at his body, and his body wasn't producing in the way that it needed to to have a child. He looked at Sarah's body. Her body was dead to having children. She had been through the change of life. So there was no physical evidence that God, what God said about them having a child would be, uh, could come to pass. So he had nothing to hope in. He had no circumstance to look at and say, well, I guess God could do something with that. So he had no natural hope. But who against natural hope believed in hope? Well, what did he believe in? According to that which was spoken. If he didn't believe in the circumstances, if he didn't believe in the condition of his body as being the, the thing that made the, the determination, what did he believe in? He believed according to that which was spoken. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, what was the purpose of him believing according to that which was spoken? So that he could become the father of nations. He knows he's not yet the father of nations, even though God is calling him the father of nations. So what is he going to do to become the father of nations? Believe according to what God said. I hope I'm not going too fast with that. I understand it, so I assume you do too. But I hope I'm not going too fast with that. What it's simply saying is he believed what God said first, and then the result was that he became the father of nations. Yeah, but what about his physical circumstances? He didn't have anything to hope in. Well, then what's he going to base his hope in? Everybody has to have some basis for their hope, folks. If I don't have natural circumstances that tells me what God is saying is true, what am I going to base my hope in? What God said. And God can't lie. Well, what did God say? I've made you the father of nations. And that's why I'm changing your name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So what did Abraham do? He believed what God said and started calling himself Abraham. Now, the Bible doesn't go into any detail. But I wonder if Abraham had any thoughts about what are people going to think when they hear I've changed my name? They're not going to know God changed my name. They're just going to know now I'm calling myself a father of a multitude. And names mean something back then. Meant something back then. I'm calling myself a father of a multitude and I don't have any kids. What are people going to think about that? Folks, don't think for a minute that the devil didn't come and tempt him and try to harass him the same way that he does you. Well, what are people going to think if I'm making my confession of faith? Is that really the issue? 
Is what God said true or not? Well, Abraham decided that it was true for him. So he began to say, he began to believe according to that which was spoken so that he could become the father of nations. Verse 19, and being not weak in faith, and being not weak in faith, not weak means to be strong, right? And being not weak, or we could turn it around and say, and being strong in faith, what does strong faith do? He considered not his own body now dead. Please notice that it does not say he refused to acknowledge that his body was dead. That's talking about dead sexually because that's the that's the the necessary change that's going to have to take place for him and Sarah for them to have a child. Abraham's almost 100 years old. Sarah's 90. They're way past time for all that to happen. So from a natural standpoint, from a physical standpoint, he could look at his body and say, well, I'm sorry, but my body's dead. How could this happen? Well, I'm sure he didn't know how it was going to work. I'm sure he didn't know what changes God was going to make, but God called him the father of of multitude. He said, I've made you the father of nations. So what does he do? Strong faith refuses to accept the circumstances as the final verdict. The woman's strong faith, the strength of her faith, refused to accept the fact that she needed her glasses day after day after day to be the final word. She just kept putting her glasses on saying, I believe I receive healing for my eyes in Jesus' name. Brother Braun's faith refused to accept his need for insulin, the condition of his body and its need for insulin to be the final word on the subject. So every day he said, I believe I receive healing for sugar diabetes in the name of Jesus. All the while he's taking the insulin. Abraham was strong in faith and considered not his own body now dead. It doesn't mean that he denies the circumstances. So many times people are denying circumstances and they think that's faith. It's not faith. Faith says no matter what the circumstances are, God's word says this. No matter what the doctor says about my body, the word of God says I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, if the doctor's saying you're sick, what do you do? Well, let him help all he can. If he's got some medication for you, if he's got some some treatment for you, fine. That's not going to hurt your faith doesn't have anything to do with your faith. The doctor's doing everything he can do to help you from the outside in. Faith works from the inside out. There's no conflict there. None whatsoever. Abraham was strong in faith and considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20 is what I want you to see. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. I like the American Standard Version on this. It says, but looking unto the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. If he's not looking at his body to be the determining factor, what is he looking at? He's looking at the promise of God. What promise did God make to him? I've made you the father of nations. Somewhere along the way, folks, you've got to identify with your eyes wide open, did God know what he was talking about or didn't he? Did God know that I was going to be facing this sickness or this condition when he said I was healed by the stripes of Jesus? Did he know that or did he not? Did he slip up? Or is he telling us something that was true? No, he's telling us the truth. Well, then what does that mean? That means the condition of my body is not the final word. Well, then what what am I going to do to change things? What things soever you desire, if you desire a well body, Plug that in. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, meaning healing. 
in this case. And you shall have them. You do the same thing to develop and grow your faith as the other two people we gave the stories on. Really three if you put in Dr. Muller. And that is you begin to say what God's word says. I believe I receive healing from whatever your condition is in the name of Jesus. I believe I receive healing in the name of Jesus. The devil's going to be right there and say, well, you don't have it. Well, that's right. I don't yet have it. That's why I have to believe to receive it. When I believe I receive it, I shall have it. Don't let the devil pull you over into the having part. He's just trying to get you to consider your own body. Strong faith doesn't do that. Strong faith says, yeah, I see what the condition of my body is, but that doesn't mean that God's word's not true. Why? Because strong faith looks at the promise of God and refuses to, unwa- refuses to waver or stagger at, through unbelief. It refuses to accept the fact that my body hasn't yet changed to nullify the word of God. Because God's rule is, believe in your heart and say with your mouth, and you shall have whatsoever you say. Every person in this story, Dr. Muller, the woman with the glasses, and Brother Braun with the sugar diabetes, every one of them got exactly what they said. Every one of them. Let me finish with a story about Charles Muller. Oh, well, let me make this comment. I want to make sure to, to make the point. Abraham is believing in his heart. Why? Because he refuses to let his circumstances, he refuses to let what his physical senses tell him, what he sees, what he feels. He refuses to let those things change the truth of the word of God for him. So he maintains his confession that I am the father of nations, even though my body doesn't look like it can produce children. Thomas is just the other way around. He said, unless I can see and feel, I will not believe. He's basing his belief on what he can see and feel. Bible faith believes based on what God said. Dr. Muller, as I said, uh, uh, at uh, age 91, I think the the highest number he had in his orphanage uh, was uh, his children homes, plural, is 2,000 kids. You can well understand you couldn't have 2,000 kids in any one home. So he had these homes spread out all over the place. And he was responsible for, uh, for believing God for these, uh, these homes and the provisions and, and, uh, and so forth. There was an American minister that went over and had heard about the work. And uh, uh, they were trying to support them in, in some small way. And uh, so he went to, uh, to check on the work. He said that um, uh, uh, they had some kind of evening meal and, and turned in early, you know. And, and um, as you would expect at that time, nobody sat up and, and um, wasn't any electric lights and things like that. So... Uh, everybody just went to bed early. So uh, Dr. Muller came and, and uh, uh, said to this gentleman after they finished their evening meal, he said, uh, listen, he said, I'm, I want you to agree in prayer with me. He said, we don't have any food for these kids for breakfast. And so the, the American uh, minister said, what do you mean you don't have any food? You've got a house full of kids. He said there were several hundreds of kids in, in this uh, uh, in this home at the time, he said, uh, well, what do you mean? Do you ha- ha- is there food coming? Do you, have, do you have arrangements made? Do you have it? He said, no, we don't, no, don't have anything going on. We said, we just need God to provide for us by morning. And he said, well, he said, uh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. This American minister told the story later. He said, I, I didn't believe anything. He said, I'm worried about myself for breakfast. He said, I'm thinking, we're out here on the outskirts of town, you know, big home like this. It wasn't in town. It was way out in the middle of nowhere. And he said, what are we going to do? He said, dear Lord, all these kids are going to starve. I'm going to starve. What kind of operation is this guy running around here? Well, about 3 o'clock in the morning, there's pounding on the front door. 
And, uh, and it's a, a guy that came over from about 30 miles away, a town from about 30 miles away, got wagon loads of bread, several wagon loads of bread on the back of the wagon, said, the Lord sent me here with food for you guys, and so we need somewhere to unload it. Well, this American minister, he's thinking, no, th- th- no, no. I-, I left this part out. I should tell you this. He said the prayer that Dr. Muller prayed was just the simplest thing. He said, I thought there'd be some heavy-duty ble- begging God if this was a real deal. He said, Lord, you know that we don't have any food for breakfast. Thank you for supplying the need. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys thinking that's it? That's all you're going to do? And that was it. That was all it was. Well, about 3, 3.30 in the morning, a knock comes on the door and, and wakes up everybody in the house. So this American minister gets up along with Dr. Muller, and, and they go outside, and, and this guy tells a story. He said, the Lord sent me here with, some, with food. He told me you guys didn't have food for the morning. That's why I'm here so late. I couldn't wait till tomorrow to get it to you. And so this guy pulls him off to the side, this American minister. He pulls him off to the side. He's trying to figure out, no, there's something going on here. This, is, this has all been for my benefit, so I'll go spreading stories untrue stories that are that are of what's going on here so he said i want to know what happened here did dr muller arrange for this to happen he said no i've never met the guy in my life he said i've heard of him everybody around here has heard of him but i've never met him he said he didn't contract for you to bring bring food out here in the middle of the night like this he said no he said well what what made you do this and he said well he said my wife and i just finished dinner and he said i was just getting ready to go to bed And he said, just about the time I was getting ready to go to bed, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, those kids don't have food for tomorrow. Get up, go out into the shop and start baking. He had a bakery right there next to his home. They lived over on the top of it or whatever it was. He said, don't wait till the morning to start your regular thing. You know, bakers get up early in the morning anyway, I guess, and start their work. He said, you go do that now and get it to them as quick as you can. So he said, I hadn't even been to bed. He said, I went out immediately. He said, well, what time was that? Turned out to be exactly the time that Dr. Muller had prayed saying, Lord, you know these kids don't have any food. Thank you for supplying the need. Amen. This guy's been out there working, got other people to come help him, other drivers to come drive wagon loads worth of food, unloaded all this stuff out for the, for the, 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 uh, the children's home, for Dr. Muller and the provisions for all these kids. And this American missionary is just left standing there with his mouth open. I, I've never seen anything like this in my life. He asked Dr. Muller, he said, you operate like this all the time? Dr. Muller said, well, we trust God to meet our needs. He said, sometimes things get close, things get tight. God always comes through. After feeding my faith for 50 years, he said, it's easier for me to believe for a half a million pounds than for a few shillings when I first started off. Folks, you'll grow and develop in confidence in the things of God if you'll put your faith to work. Find something. Never let a day go by without putting your faith on something. Never. You may not have to believe for healing every day, but believe for something every day. Believe God for something every day for the rest of your life. That's how you'll cause your faith to grow. Feeding on the word and exercising it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Father, that because your word is true, We can stand on a sure foundation. Heaven and earth will pass away, Lord, but your word will never fail. Thank you, Father, that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. Therefore, we believe we receive our healing in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that Jesus was made poor for our sakes, that we through his poverty might be made rich.
Thank you, Father. We believe we receive all of our needs met. And we believe we receive abundance in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.